Hello everyone, this is Akshansh. Hello, my name is Amay. And this is Are You Bored Yet? A podcast about a bunch of different things, but essentially pop culture and media that we consume to fend off boredom. This podcast has been sort of stewing and brewing in our brains for something like five years now. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been a couple of years since we thought about doing something along these lines and and uh, it just took us a master's degree each uh, some overseas relocation and then massive amounts of boredom induced by the pandemic to to finally get it going hey man if that's what it takes <laughs> yeah and and it's going to be a really really fun ride uh, in this first episode or as ames termed it the maiden voyage i also like to call it baby's first podcast or yeah our baby's first podcast um We'll talk about the TV show Ted Lasso, a wholesome beacon of hope in an otherwise unwholesome year. Followed by the Hulu holiday film, Happiest Season. Yeah, and then we'll move on to some more sinister and murdery vibes when we talk about Ryu Murakami's 1997 novel In the Miso Soup. And lastly, we talk about how big tech companies take our data and present it back to us in the form of a nicely packaged gift. Yes, what Amay, of course, is referring to there is Spotify's 2020 Wrapped, a brief yet painful... Um, yet enjoyable. Yeah, a brief yet painful, yet enjoyable excursion into a very self-destructive music listening habits. So sit back and enjoy. So Amay, I remember recommending Ted Lasso to you. Did you finally get around to watching it? I did finally get around to watching it around uh, mid-November or so. Uh, someone else recommended it to me as well. And after digging into it a little more, I was like, yeah, this sounds like something interesting and something soothing to watch right now. Yeah, awesome. So l- let's let's talk about Lasso a little bit. Because for me, definitely it was one of the best things I watched this year. And, and um, especially because, you know, obviously it had contributions from Bill Lawrence and Zach Braff of Scrubs fame, which is another show I absolutely adore. I remember you raving about it back then and having finally watched it, I can totally see why you were so in love with it. Uh, to those listening in, the show is basically about Ted Lasso, an American football coach from Kansas, who gets hired by the owner of AFC Richmond, a fictional soccer team in London, and the character is somehow a mix of Ted Rogers and Shah Rukh Khan from Chakde, India, um, which seems like a pretty interesting and unexpected combination. Um, So uh, how did this show come into being? Yeah, yeah. So talking about the um, origin of the show, I think it it all started when there were these two NBC sports uh, promotional spots for the Premier League, I guess in the year 2013 and 2014. And Ted Lasso is the same character then, a little, you know, not as fleshed out as, of course, he is in the series. Um, and he is this American football coach who then just goes over to England to manage Tottenham Hotspurs. And then he has no idea what, what you know, regular football is. Mm-hmm. And I remember there's a part in, I guess, the first video, the one which is released in 2013, where um, his assistant coach, uh, Brendan Hunt, I guess that's the name of the actor, uh, who also plays like uh, the same character uh, in in the series as well. He sort of has this mnemonic uh, card device where he's trying to explain to Ted, uh, okay, these are the clubs, and sort of draw parallels with the NFL teams. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was, uh, I think, uh, this bit about where he takes out the placard for Liverpool, and um, 
the assistant coach goes like, oh, uh, Liverpool is like this club, which is big back in the day, but hasn't won anything. Remember, this is 2013, so they still haven't won the title at this point. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ted goes, oh, yeah, Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> and then he <laughs> takes out uh, the placket for Manchester United. And he's like, oh, these, you either hate them or you love them. There's no in-between. And he's like, yeah, also Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> and then he <laughs> takes out... Uh, placard for Manchester City and uh, he's like um, oh yeah they just got into a lot of money and then you know this, like the pretty girl at the ball sort of thing and he's like oh yeah Jennifer Lawrence <laughs> so <laughs> it was it was a fun two videos that they released I remember watching it a couple of years ago and uh, uh, it, it was quite in- interesting the way they moved from there to like a full-fledged series so, so I am interested to know what aspect of the show did you like Honestly, for me, it was just the very, very wholesome vibe of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it somehow reflected that uh, it's okay to just be alive at times, you know, and uh, trying to do your best, even though you might not honestly be feeling your best. And sometimes that's fine too. It's it's kind of a perfect antidote or uh, should I say vaccine for what's going on in the world at the time. Yeah, well put. <laughs> and wait, what, what, is, what is going on in the world? I, I have no idea. Is there something in the news that I should be looking into? Probably something. Maybe maybe we should look at a newspaper once this is done. Maybe I should, yes. <laughs> anyway, spoilers after this point. So the owner of the club, AFC Richmond, hires Ted, who has no real experience managing a soccer club, to basically ruin the club, to run it into yeah. the ground. Yeah, exactly. And then the owner who, who gets this from her ex-husband uh, in a divorce settlement, she, just, she knows that he loves the club, so... Her sole purpose in life at this point is to get back at him and just destroy the club that he has worked so hard to build. And yeah, and it's just this sort of uh, get back card um, for her. In the end, somehow she ends up caring about the club and the people who have somehow worked their way into her life. Uh, They sort of become her support system in a way. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that to me is the power of Coach Ted Lasso. Just sort of uh, unexpected ways that uh, people become a part of your life yeah i want to ask at this point what is your favorite aspect of the show akshansh okay so for me i think yes the wholesome vibe of course but also because it talks about unity a lot and then especially like during such a divisive time in 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 history it's it's nice to have this character who's able to bring different parties to the table and then work towards a common goal despite all the differences and uh, and of course like he's this eternal optimist right so it was always going to be a very soothing um, thing to watch especially after the year we've had and it's it is very interesting because he himself is uh, not this guy who's had uh, his whole life handed to him Mm -hmm. on a silver platter like he is also having these different issues in his marriage it's on the rocks he's trying so, so it's a turbulent time for not just him, but also the club. And then he sort of moves away from America to manage mm-hmm. the club. And he's able to put everything um, aside and sort of focus on building this club. And, and it's just incredibly uplifting how he's able to manage both his personal and his mm-hmm. professional life. I like that you mentioned uh, that he's not having the best time himself, but uh, he does try to yeah. keep it together for everyone else because he is in sort of a leadership role and... It sort of trickles down if he's having a negative attitude. And uh, yeah, uh, the fact that you mentioned his marriage reminds me of the episode where his wife and son show up in London to meet him. 
quite heartbreaking uh-huh. and uh, i was almost in tears at the end of that episode but i like how they tackle the issue of separation in such a mature and nuanced way we don't want anything bad to happen to this guy but it's nice to see the character deal with it in such a thoughtful way and not not in like the typical uh, masculine tv character that we've come to see so often and um mm-hmm. i honestly don't think i've watched a show this uh, organically wholesome and positive you know in a way that it's not trying to shove positivity down our throat since i think uh, i watched parks and rec yeah i, I mean yeah in, th- in this house we just mm-hmm. love parks and rec and and lasso's character is quite similar i guess like if i had to smush two characters from parks and rec together to describe lasso it would be uh, leslie <laughs> and chris trager um uh, because he has like the sheer will power of Leslie to like bulldoze through any adversity and then he has this this uh bright sunlight optimism of Chris Jagger so and and it's quite interesting you you brought up Parks and Rec you know because that show handles uh cynicism in the mm-hmm. political realm quite well like it's able to show how disgruntled and just apathetic government employees can talking about be. Ron Swanson um, obviously <laughs> yes i mean swanson as well as the people around him they're just living this sort of drab existence uh, um and then so that if if you look at that and then look at it lasso lasso is able to do a brilliant job of like um, showing how how toxic fandoms can become and, and how cynical uh, football uh, punditry can be because if i remember correctly there are these three dudes right who are perpetually at the pub and they're talking mm-hmm. shit about lasso all the time they're calling him a wanker they just like real life youtube <laughs> comments and it just gives you perspective that you know one game of like 90 minutes should not give fans the right to start bashing players and bashing managers immediately it's, it's because they are human at the end absolutely of i think these days with social media and everything and even managers get so much instant backlash after just a run mm-hmm. of a few bad results and uh, especially yeah. with uh, all these public personalities being so easily accessible to us it's just so easy to leave an angry comment yeah. on their social media posts or tweet wanker at them and just abuse and criticize them and yeah honestly we don't look at the impact it can have on them i think this is a good time to bring up uh, the one of the characters from the show uh he's Trent Krim from the Independent <laughs> who is this reporter who shows up at uh, all of AFC Richmond's press conferences he is what you would call in the internet age a hater he constantly doubts lasso <laughs> and uh, i think there's an episode where he interviews lasso yeah yeah i, I think and then the episode itself i think is titled um, quite unsurprisingly it's it's just called trent krim the independent <laughs> and uh, yeah uh, and he just sort of introduces himself like the queen of england uh, each time he gets up at a press conference and uh, however the end of that episode though it's it's quite uh, quite anti climactic Yeah the interview sort of ends on a very unexpectedly positive note we realize yeah. that Lasso has just by being himself really won over Trent Krim and uh, he says he being uh, Trent Krim says uh, that you can't really help but root for Lasso in being himself Lasso has basically foiled an attempt by the club's owner to slander him and to ruin his reputation uh-huh uh-huh and 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 I remember something to the effect of Krim's writing that uh, writing something along the lines of Okay, I know AFC Richmond has this big big probability of getting relegated at the end of the season, but you know, even if that happens, I'm not going to gloat 
because he realized that the way Lasso was sort of bringing everyone together and managing the team and changing the culture within the team, it was bigger than any of this uh, petty talk around uh, the f- brand of football that mm-hmm. they must have been playing. Just as an added note, relegation yeah. refers to when uh, the season ends and the three lowest standing teams in the division get uh, demoted to yes. a lower division. Yes, thanks for that. Tidbit. For sure. Fun fact, uh, the creators of the show on a recent podcast episode mentioned that uh, the show is basically designed to end after a preset number of seasons. That's like three seasons, I think. Oh, is, is this the uh, the Zach Braff podcast, the Fake Doctors, Real Friends podcast? You are correct, my friend. It is uh, Fake oh. Doctors, Real Friends, uh, the podcast by Zach Braff and Donald Faison. Yes. They basically talk about the show being pitched as a limited series. Mostly because uh, Jason Sudeikis doesn't want to spend a major part of the year across the pond and away from his family, mm-hmm. which sort of uh, mirrors the fate of Ted Lasso. Yeah, it's uh, it's a little meta that way, you know, life imitating art and whatnot. And uh, I'm not too sure. This seems like page six news, but but I but I I page feel three. like I read some page three, page six, page five. You know, the celeb gossip. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember I remember reading about um, uh, Jason Sudeikis and and Olivia Wilde separating, mm-hmm. um, and it's interesting because. In in a Vanity Fair article that I was reading about uh, when uh, once I finished watching this the show, um, I I learned that it was Olivia Wilde who in 2015 sort of pushed Sudeikis to explore Lasso as this three dimensional character. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Uh, that is definitely more self referential and uh, meta than I thought. But uh, what do you think about the three-season limit? Don't you think we should get more lasso given the climate everyone is in right now? So, actually, I feel like a three-season limit is quite good. Um, I don't see a point to drag out these characters through seven, eight, um, or even ten seasons of mediocrity, looking at you, Modern Family. And then in my head, I sort of, I can visualize what the next two seasons are going to be about. So the first season is just like sort of the introduction to the characters, what the team has gone through, the turbulence of it all. I feel like the second season is going to be um, this inspirational bounce back season for the club um, after what's happened in season one. And I feel like season three, I expect them to focus more on like the individual character arcs and and their growths and their journeys and, and just the conclusion of it all. Um, so I, for one, I think I'm pretty happy with with the fact that they're limiting it to three, you know, good seasons instead of just dragging it out for for no apparent reason. Yeah, I think I agree with that, and uh, I think it gives mm-hmm. them enough time to really plan out the character arcs and yeah. give each of the characters a satisfying ending. And um, on a final note, I think I highly, highly recommend this show yeah. for anyone who's had a shit year, month, week, day. And wants to consume something feel good, something that just yeah. makes you wo- feel warm inside, especially something similar to like Parks and Rec or Scrubs. Yeah, and I for one cannot wait to um, you know watch season two when it comes out. And on that note, yeah, go t- check out Ted Lasso. It's available for streaming on Apple TV Plus, and let us know what you think. So I've never quite understood conventional Christmas movies. It was it was never really a thing growing up for me. And uh, even after growing up, 
um, being the Grinch that I am, mm-hmm. um, I honestly prefer alt Christmas movies. I love things like Die Hard, Bad Santa, Eyes Wide Shut. Any day of the week, you give me these movies for Christmas, and I'm a happy man. Yeah, I completely understand that. I, I guess um, I also love these sort of alt Christmas movies, but for me, like they have to be more Christmas adjacent, more like something in the vicinity of Home Alone or Baby Stay Out, um, and which is why I was looking forward to Happiest Season. Uh, that and the fact that it has Mackenzie Davis um, uh, from Halt and Catch Fire, where she plays this. Um, punk rock coder girl and it has Aubrey Plaza from Parks and Rec it has Annie or Alison Brie from uh, Community we try not to sexualize her and uh, we have a very own vampire convert um, in the form of Kristen Stewart and uh, and yeah and it has Dan Levy from uh, Schitt's Creek so it's like a really really packed cast yeah it's a lot of heavy hitters and honestly the cast was actually the thing that attracted me the most towards this movie yep yep big cast honestly this year to break old habits decided to just give in and uh, let the holiday mm-hmm. spirit take a hold of me um this kind of led to me watching uh, the most holiday movie of the year happiest season which in the true spirit of christmas was about someone mm-hmm. meeting their significant other's family for the very first time and um the hijinks that followed this yeah and then right off the bat it's it's so so het- non heteronormative right like instead of um, mm-hmm. what you would expect from a christmas movie uh, you would see like straight couples um, and someone in that relationship is tense about meeting the other person's parents this time is this lesbian couple who who has to go through this whole tradition mm-hmm. and uh, uh and at the start of the movie very very clearly it's established that Mackenzie Davis's character Harper she loves christmas and um Stewart's character Abby she is sort of okay with it she i wouldn't go as far as to uh, say that she hates it but she is definitely not as uh in the spirit of christmas as um Harper So in order to convince Harper of her love she decides to come to her place in the suburbs and meet her parents but uh things uh, don't really go to plan exactly. Um spoilers Harper hasn't really told her parents that she's mm-hmm. gay uh which uh, Abby actually thought had happened already and because of this uh, unfortunate situation Abby has to pretend that she's not Harper's girlfriend anymore but just her orphan roommate and you know what I think I finally get the purpose behind Christmas movies. They're about mm-hmm. comfort and sort of coming home for the holidays, eating a lot of food. Uh something which a lot of us didn't really get to do this year. Yeah, it's true like we it was very difficult to like meet people or or be around people this year. And uh even if one doesn't really celebrate Christmas, it's just nice that at the time of the year you have someone to visit or be around familiar faces. Um but yeah a lot of us of course did not get to that this year and then uh, it was just i i hope that it changes in the future quickly rather and and uh, coming back to the movie's plot what was your reaction to the way everything played out so honestly i actually went in with very very low expectations mm-hmm. but i found it quite enjoyable more so than i thought i would it's predictable it's cheesy but that's expected from a christmas movie mm-hmm. the fact that it just 
it, it, it just sort of hits the spot, right? When you're thinking about movies as comfort food, that's what did it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, in some ways, it almost felt like an LGBTQ plus version of Get Out, but with a significantly <laughs> happier yeah. ending. Um, these people are just absolutely awful to Kristen Stewart's character. Um, the only reasonably nice connection she appears to have is with Aubrey Plaza's character, who's uh-huh. not in the movie enough. The Harper character is, uh, as the kids call it these days, uh, quite sus because she lies quite a few times and uh, it's just, it's not a pleasant situation to be in if you're Kristen Stewart's character. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Uh, Harper, even though she's trying to do the right thing all the time, it's just, you can see how it's visibly upsetting to to. Uh, what uh, mm-hmm. Abby sort of stands for, and um, and yes, yeah, you can never have enough of Aubrey Plaza um, in anything. She's just magic. I found the script to be rather okay. Um, uh, you know, the acting definitely lifted what was um, provided to the actors. Uh, the funniest thing for me uh, was the third daughter, who no one seems to give a shit about, and then she just floating around in space, um, breathing air. And, and she reminded me of this um, suicidal hospital lawyer from Scrubs. Uh, I think his name is Ted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think Ted was the guy with the a cappella group in Scrubs, yeah. right? Yep, exactly. And um, it's it's quite unfortunate, though. Like, uh, the actor, Sam Lloyd, he, he passed away this year. Um, so, yeah, but mm-hmm. that depressing segue aside, um, I think I would still highly recommend this movie uh, because it's representative. Um, breaks the mold it's nicely written for the most part um, it has some fun family shenanigans mm-hmm. it has those two you know almost shining like kids from um, Alison Bree's Sloan character um, there's a local political campaign there's a lot of snow like a lot is happening in this movie so um, I don't think you will be bored per se so f- final thoughts from you Amai Final thoughts, uh, I would say this uh, movie ranks just above Princess Switch and Mm. just below Love Actually in my very, very uh, not comprehensive list of Christmas movies. Also, Mm. special shout out to Dan Levy for being at his Dan Levyist. And uh, (laughs) I think he was a very, very bright spot in this movie for me. I like the attempts at uh, representation and uh, breaking the mold that they tried in this movie. Mm Mm-hmm even though it may not have hit the mark all the time. But for the season and uh, mm-hmm. for the attempt at trying something different and trying to include uh, different kinds of relationships, uh, I would recommend this uh, movie to our listeners. I think it's out on Hulu. And um, yeah, that's yep. that's about it from me. Another off-topic point I would like to raise is, Akshansh, do you think The Shining is a Christmas movie? Uh, yeah, of course it is. It has a fun road trip and, and there's uh, a Christmas tree. Yeah, and, and a lot of snow. So yeah, duh. <laughs> Shining is a Christmas movie. Speaking of The Shining, I've been getting back into reading a lot lately, but I find I simply can't focus too much on one book, at least not enough to finish it uh, within a short enough span of time. That is until I got my hands on In the Miso Soup by Ryu Murakami, which is about a would-be serial killer from America who is traveling in Japan. 
Yeah, I, I remember reading this a few years ago uh, myself, and um, I think we were both in undergrad at that point, and I, I suggested it to you, but at that point, you were just knee-deep in the works of the other Murakami, Haruki Murakami, um, with much more of the magic realism um, thing working for you. Yeah, that I think that was a strange time. Uh, I remember uh, that was when I also started writing a little bit. And uh, mm-hmm. just because I was absorbing so much of uh, Haruki Murakami's writing, my writing style was sort of vaguely and unintentionally modeled after his. And uh, yeah, getting back to talking about uh, In the Miso Soup, uh, would you care to give our listeners a quick elevator pitch about the book? Yeah, sure. So, so the book follows Kenji, who is this quote, nightlife, unquote, guide in Japan. Um, he, you know, shows foreign tourists around sex clubs and bars that are found there. And, and uh, one fine day, Kenji gets this phone call from a potential customer to avail his services for three nights. The pay is quite good. So Kenji's like, you know what? Yeah, I'll do it. Um, and then the events of the book happen over the course of the next three days. And Kenji's wondering, you know, if this gaijin, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. And Gaijin means a fo- foreigner. Like if this Gaijin is somehow connected to the gruesome events that's that that are being reported in the news. And um, his name is Frank for all intents and purposes of the book. Yeah. Spoilers after this point. So this isn't actually a spoiler, but just in the interest of keeping things fresh for our listeners. The back cover of the book straight away mentions that Frank mm-hmm. may potentially be responsible for the killings of various people around uh, this area in Japan. And uh, right off the bat, uh, everything that uh, Kenji notices about Frank seems to be somewhat off kilter. Uh, right from the uh, conflicting stories that Frank uh, tells Kenji about his childhood, his mannerisms, and his seemingly different personalities on different days. Uh, even the way he dresses and how he handles money is uh, somewhat at odds with uh, whatever Kenji knows about American tourists who say they're in Japan for business, but are actually just looking to blow off some steam. Yeah, and, and it does give him this sort of almost otherworldly supernatural mm-hmm. air. Um, and somewhere towards the middle of the book, there's this really gruesome uh, mass murder scene where, where he just brutally mm-hmm. kills everyone in the club. But uh, he lets Kenji live. Um, and he, he almost <laughs> asks him to join him in the fun. Um, and that was quite uh, yeah, vividly described. Yeah, it was pretty vivid and pretty dark because uh, he also mentions that Kenji may also be uh, the only real friend he's ever had. And uh, this, this comes yeah. off as some sort of uh, perverse way of uh, letting Kenji know that uh, he actually thinks of him as a real friend. It also sort of yeah. adds up when he tells Kenji about his real past and his multiple personality disorder, coupled with his experiences in and out of the correctional system. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember um, Ryu Murakami almost uh, creates this... Um, well, for the lack of a better word, a heartbreaking backstory uh, for this uh, um, character, Frank. And it, I wouldn't say it completely humanizes him, Mm -hmm. but you sort of understand where he's coming from. And um, we know that he's certainly at fault, but but it's important to note here that um, Murakami is able to draw attention to the state of mental health care that sort of fails people who need it uh, the most. And... uh, uh, even going through his other works, like I've read Piercing by Rimurakami as well, and 
he has this innate ability to sort of make the readers understand mm-hmm. where the evil is originating from and and even if the reader sort of knows that hey this is wrong um whatever the protagonist mm-hmm. or the villain of the story is doing uh just by understanding where they're coming from sort of reduces the sting a little bit um and and that's a very interesting way in which murakami is able to um create his character it's it's interesting that you mention uh him uh pointing out the source of evil because he does it so deftly mm-hmm. that it, it feels very balanced especially uh the humanizing aspect and uh the aspect of evil because uh a lot of things try to do this and they don't necessarily succeed i'm i'm mostly thinking yeah. about uh the recent uh, joker movie where uh walking phoenix's character almost comes off as a protagonist and uh, it it is sort of similar but uh i would say yeah. uh rumurakami manages it with a much more delicate hand and yeah i think i have to read piercing as well no oh, definitely it's it's a it's a brilliant book and while while i was researching about in the miso soup and sort of revisiting whatever mm-hmm. i've read um what i had read a couple of years ago i came across a rather interesting interpretation of what was mm-hmm. happening um so you know how almost everyone who meets frank uh, never sort of lives to tell yeah, the tale yeah they're all killed in pretty gruesome ways yeah exactly so uh, even towards the end uh, where kenji asks uh, his girlfriend i think june mm-hmm. is her name to keep an eye out for this potential murderer on the bridge where he's sort of having this uh, uh, conversation with uh, frank she never really sees frank there and and all, all this time they have this really lengthy piece of dialogue between the mm-hmm. two of them kenji and frank So according to this interpretation that I was going through Frank and Kenji could just be two sides mm-hmm. of the same man since Kenji is so distraught and just bored out of his mind with his existence he goes on to kill all of the people like these easy targets around him just to feel alive because um in the first half of the book you do read a lot about how his life is and the life of the people around him is quite drab and there's no sort of soul in it it's just you know just motion day after day just going through the motions this is not really something that uh helps him get out of bed and like say okay yeah this is this is going to be a good mm-hmm. day yeah i think that's definitely an interesting take and uh, it almost makes sense in hindsight when i think about it now uh all these things mm-hmm. sort of add up because of how frank doesn't really fit with any of the american stereotypes in kenji's brain it's almost as if kenji's yep. brain has uh, created this character and uh, it's it's also it's also reflected in this sort of weird uh, brotherly intimacy that they sort of develop over their time together yeah yeah it's it's a very weird symbiosis that that these two guys have got going on and um and then of course there's that whole metaphor of american foreigners just you mm-hmm. know coming to like an asian country like japan and sort of breaking up the culture there and then being disrupted mm-hmm. and that's quite a blatant uh, metaphor you don't really have to go searching mm-hmm. for it um overall it's a great book uh, if especially if you're in the mood for something dark um and if you can sustain like really vivid textual descriptions of gore and and slightly lengthy character monologues um personally um i would give it 5 out of 7 mm-hmm. stars place it somewhere between I guess the pop culture universe of American Psycho and 
Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I would also add a little bit of Silence of the Lambs in there, I think, which is also mentioned in the book. Yep, yep. It's mentioned, I think, in the first five pages. So, like, Ryu Murakami is obviously, like, drawing from, like, American sources to, you know, mm-hmm. flip, like, create the universe for, for this book. Yeah. Uh, on a final note, uh, having had trouble finishing any book in one go lately, uh, In the Miso Soup sort of stood out as the exception. It has remarkably snappy pacing and uh, there's almost no fluff in the book. The entire events of the book sort of just take place over the course of three days. And uh, if you're in the mood for something dark and gritty that uh, explores uh, the grimier side of Japan and uh, Japanese culture, we recommend this book. Yep. To anyone who has interested, murder stories, psychological thrillers, this is it. This is it. Of late, there has been a year-end tradition of Spotify sort of collectively dissing our taste in music. They let us know if we've been depressed or happy or borderline suicide of the entire year by spying on our listening habits. And of course, we love depressing or happy insights from Rod. Yeah, data. we do love our data. And who do you think my top artist for 2020 was, Akshansh? Take a wild guess. Um, yeah, I think I know this for a fact. I think it's uh, Frank Ocean. Yeah, that was a that was a dumb question. Um, I think it would have been difficult <laughs> to guess if I had shut up about Frank Ocean at any point in the year. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. This is actually the year I fell in love with Frank Ocean and his amazing writing and beautiful vocals. They're really full of some kind of immense sense of yearning. And uh, anyone who's been around when I am playing music Uh, They've sort of had to put a limit on the number of Frank Ocean songs I play. I foresee having uh, to be a part of some sort of Frank Ocean intervention in the near future. Um, What about you, though? Uh, Am I correct in predicting that your uh, top artist was Beach House again? You are right, sir. I I, I don't think I'm ever going to give Beach House up for any other artist. I'm a Beach House loyalist through and through. Um, I think I was in the top 1% of the listeners again, which isn't very surprising to me um, (laughs) or anyone else for that matter. Um, It's something just about Victoria Legrand's vocals that that I just can't get enough of. Um, I revisited a lot of the earlier works, uh, you know, Devotion, Depression Cherry, um, and also heard a lot of uh, Seven, which uh, for listeners... Um, who don't know, it was the last album mm-hmm. that Beach House released. But yeah, so I thoroughly enjoyed Beach House once again this year. I'm I'm curious to know what was your favorite album of the year? For me, the favorite album of the year was Dreamland by Glass Animals. What an album. It sort of uses all these themes about childhood and uh, relationship problems and just nostalgia about things in the past. Um, it references a lot of things that we probably had uh, in our childhood especially songs like space coast coast to coast and uh yeah i think uh it, it harkens back to sort of like a simpler time mm-hmm. it it really does and um i absolutely enjoy that album as well and space coast was like just filled with references and um i don't know if i told you this i actually ordered uh, the cassette of That's dreamland cool. and uh, 
yeah and it, but however it was delivered to me like what i guess three months late <laughs> um but once it did arrive in the mail it was just awesome to experience the whole album on um analog on my walkman and it's just uh yeah it was a fun fun experience yeah i think uh, listening to that album on cassette was probably kind of in keeping with the whole retro vibes and some of the more uh, retro imagery that they put out along with the album um personally exactly. what i found especially apt about this album was uh, as i mentioned it, it was sort of like a throwback summer this year just uh, mm-hmm. doing a lot of things that we used to do as kids for me that was a lot of cycling around a lot of playing soccer a lot of outdoor activities in general which makes sense because we were mm-hmm. not allowed to be indoors too much with our friends and uh, these were sort of all the activities we used to do back in goa as uh, as kids yeah i think uh, for the same reason like um i sort of ended up listening to the album on a loop and we we did a lot of hiking back in the summer of 2020 and uh, the album was just like playing on a loop all the time and and primarily because of dreamland and this release um, glass animal sort of shot up to like the fifth most listened artist mm-hmm. for me this year um and then childhood themes aside they also sort of their songs also sort of explore this relationship um um trouble that that either the protagonist or um his friends are facing a if i'm not mistaken melon in the coconut is, is a good example of that where um it's just sort of is about this relationship which is on the verge mm-hmm. of disaster um apart from i guess glass animals i also really really enjoyed the um new album by the strokes uh, it's called the new abnormal um and the adults are talking from that album is this beautiful song which um was my second most played song this year yeah i think uh, the new abnormal was a great return to form for the strokes honestly uh, they are just back doing what they do best which is just writing really funny lyrics and very grungy heavy guitars which are just lend themselves to their uh, garage rock vibe right from the the title mm-hmm. of the album which is which kind of pokes fun at everyone using the phrase the new normal the new normal all over the place and um yeah i think uh, my favorite song of that album was definitely brooklyn bridge to chorus followed closely by uh, bad decisions yeah th- those are both great songs i remember when bad decisions released it was uh, it was actually this pre-release single for before the album came out and i was in the office and i just ended up playing that on a loop the mm-hmm. entire day um and then like heard it on a loop again for the next 3 to 4 days it was a brilliant song like the entire album is filled with gems much like dreamland both are really, sure. really good albums um and yeah if anyone ruined their spotify wrapped <laughs> with embarrassing music uh, which i guess we also did but we were just lucky enough for it not to feature in our top 5 you should feel free to share your thoughts on instagram and uh, with that i guess it's a wrap on the first episode of are you bored yet and i fully intended that one <laughs> stay tuned listeners uh, hope you've all had a happy holiday season and yeah and a safe one yeah, i guess yeah hope you've all been safe yes and a happy new year to all three of our listeners